0: Welcome to Earthfire Radio. I'm Dr. Susan Eirich, founder and director of Earth Fire Institute. We're a wildlife sanctuary um, and retreat center, and we're just east of the Grand Tetons National Park, just west of Grand Tetons. Our fundamental goal is to change how people see and therefore treat wildlife, to change perceptions, to understand that we're truly part of life, and that all animals are profoundly in sharing this experience. This is part of a series of Podcasts I'm doing, brilliant, innovative, heartfelt change makers. And today that's Linda Bender. Linda, um, a very brief introduction because she's got such a wonderful long biography. It's good to look at her website with all the details on it. But she fell in love with nature in her backyard and felt a profound um, affinity with animals, um, which ended up in her becoming a wildlife vet. She's a lifelong animal whisperer, a healer, a passionate advocate. And she combines her scientific training with the wisdom of a mystic. That's one of the reasons I really wanted to have her on at the beginning of our Council of All Beings, because she brings all the levels from scientific up to the mystical um, of awareness in her own experience. She's uh, traveled and worked with wild animals and domestic animals all around the world. and is extremely highly regarded and highly regarded by me. So, Linda, it's a total delight and an honor to see you and welcome you.
1: Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here with you.
0: So you've got so much to share. It's really hard to know where to begin um, from your stories of animals, uh, experiences you've had healing animals in the wild, um, to connections with animals, um, would you like to give? let start by introducing yourself or start with a few questions.
1: Well, I think questions are good, um, but I think you said it all. I've been a lifelong lover of animals um, and the natural world. So fire away.
0: So I guess the basic question is, Um, What have you learned most, or or what is it the most important thing that animals have taught you in all your vast experience from from robins to tigers to elephants?
1: (laughs) There's so many stories, Uh, but I think that truth, the truth that I have learned from animals and the natural world, truth is often, in my experience, quite simple living in this world is the difficult part but if i narrow it down to what one thing would animals want me to say in answer to that is very simple and it's that we as human beings we think we have so many problems but in reality we really only have this one huge overwhelming problem, which is that we think we're separate. We have declared ourselves separate from the natural world. This of course is illusion, and it is the um, concept that has brought us to this unfortunate place that we are in now. But, But it's that interconnectedness, that intertwining we have with all life, All life, not just life that we deem worthy, but all life is connected. And that's where our true joy comes from. There is no other access for that.
0: So the truth is really simple.
1: Truth is simple.
0: Can you give some stories of how you have experienced or seen the interconnection that might help people see it or, or ways that they might be able to feel it themselves. Because I know you've said, and I'm going to say it, but please say it again because it's so important that everyone has this capacity.
1: That's right. Because
0: exactly. you have extreme experiences doesn't mean this isn't available to everyone. But from that frame of reference, I'd love to hear some stories you have of how to connect or how you connected, um, and how you, you understand this, how you came to understand it and how you do understand it.
1: And I think it's so important that you brought up that point. This is not a special thing that I have or you have or uh, an, uh, quote, animal communicator has. We are all animal communicators. We are all uh, hardwired to connect and be as one. Unfortunately, our culture has taught us differently. Some people call it a great forgetting, You know, up up until, you know, a few centuries ago, the the dominant view was that we were all connected, but now we're in this great forgetting, but it's, it's, it's urgent that we begin the great remembering. And what happened to me very early on, and I've had a myriad of experiences with all different kinds of animals from little tiny birds to be the largest mammals, the elephant. I'll tell you a story about meeting a, a wild elephant. But as a young girl, I was invited into the world of the small birds, in particular the robins, that lived in my parents' backyard. This is accessible to all of us. And I was not quite as um, successful in the human side and I would love to be outside in nature and the little robins invited me into their world and what they offered is that knowing that understanding that Come beyond What you're thinking to experience Our world the world of oneness the one the world where there is no separation and that was very simply done by sitting at the bottom of a dogwood tree, staring up at my little friend. And what happens without me trying? In other words, it isn't manipulating, it isn't uh, trying, it's allowing. It's allowing mm. simply to let go of what we're thinking and what we're mired in, let go, to what is right now in the present moment. And obviously I didn't know that I was doing that as a little girl, but as I grew up and understood, wow, that's all it is. So it's that very simple letting go because they taught me that everything happens in the now. And we hear this, you know, we hear this today, you know, get outside of your thinking. But it, it isn't a fight with thinking. It's simply allowing yourself to connect with other beings. And this became a theme throughout my life. And it's like exercising a muscle. The more you do this, the more it becomes your natural state. I never lost that state. And to me, it was perfectly normal. Um, a, a question too, I would like to pose to people that I have worked with all different types of wildlife. Um, And if anyone out there has ever met a wild elephant, I use that example. I go from the tiny bird to the great elephant, the largest land mammal. When you meet a wild elephant and you catch their eye, it's difficult to prove but it is a transformative experience to be in the presence of this great being because you sense an enormous, deep consciousness hmm. that greets you. Very hard to put into words, but it is truly a transformative experience to be in the presence of this great being that understands that you are there to share in consciousness. And all animals, in other words, we don't have to be with great elephants or tigers. We can sit in our backyards, we can go in the forest, we can sit and be part of all of the oneness that is around us. Uh, I used to do that with the jays, the blue jays, all the time in my yard. They taught me everything I knew about families, communities, Um, you know, many, many, so many, so many stories. But anyone can do this.
0: I think it's hard for a lot of people to know what it means to allow. Yes. Yes. I think that
1: let's, let's talk about nature. Einstein once said, if you, if you go into nature, you will understand this world much more deeply. There are soul-stirring mysteries of life in nature. Think about it. There are these creatures that do so many things that we really cannot comprehend. I'm, uh, simple examples. How fish turn in a second and don't bump into each other. Starlings, if you've seen, many people have seen films of starlings, how they turn, and they never bump into each other. Uh, hummingbirds, the simple delicacy and beauty of a hummingbird that flies backwards, upside down, etc. And the great uh, teacher Krishnamurti used hummingbirds as an example of what happens when we forget to allow krishnamurti said if you teach a child the name of a hummingbird he'll never see it again so uh-huh. what did he mean by that what he meant is that we in our culture have become so mired in concepts that we have forgotten how to allow how to tap into that unity consciousness for lack of a better description um, and we've forgotten the word panpsychism uh, if people are familiar with that term that p- what panpsychism means is that all nature is conscious not just humans but all nature is conscious and in my personal experience, that, that simple, elegant explanation for what's going on in the world and in the universe is, is, has been everything I have learned. I don't teach uh, anything other than what I have personally experienced. Um, we're not alone as conscious, feeling, thinking beings. Um, And this, now more than ever, should compel us to rethink our place in the world. We've lost our way. Um, And the challenges we face are the result of our, based on the material that we have gathered in our scientific minds. And I think uh, what might be helpful to people is to just divide it up. So we have two ways of thinking in our our, our culture. We have those concepts. That's giving the hummingbird a name. It's walking in the forest is an example. We can walk in the forest and use our science thinking mind. We can name all the birds. We can name the flowers. We can become tremendous experts. We can have PhDs in the concepts, right? and we can walk in the forest and experience that, and that's beautiful. But it's very different than the other knowing, which I have learned to experience, and that is that unity experience, where it isn't coming from your thinking mind, it's coming from your sensor, your sensory being. How you, what you smell in the forest, what you see, what you hear it's a different way of connecting to the forest and both are wonderful if we do only the concepts we end up pretty much destroying our planet as we've been doing so successfully but on the other hand if we have nothing other than oh my god oh oh and no words we end up what sent to the uh loony bin (laughs) So it is a balance and our society has gone way overboard in the conceptual mind. So it is, it is so critical now that every person allows that other consciousness to come forward.
0: You particularly... Uh, interesting ways, but one of which is you have this experience starting from a very young girl slipped into this other consciousness and then you became a vet right like that with all the science right how do you work those two
1: you know i i think that we need to be over this argument we need to be to to stop asking the question of which is right you know Spirit, science, you know, it's a fight and we don't need to have that fight. I never have found a conflict between my spiritual, my mystical side and my scientific mind. I am one of those people who carries both. I love science. You know, I think science has done great things for us. But we can't be in science alone. We have to experience the world and ask different questions, right? The, the questions that we've been asking in science have offered many answers, but they're only one realm of questioning. You know, there are there, uh, many other questions to ask, right? About, and there's robust data now about psychic phenomena. Uh, intuitive uh, experiences, and when we go into the unity connecting, can we actually blend our consciousness and feel what it's like to fly with the birds? You know our, our questions have been so limiting, and we need to move beyond that.
0: I guess my question was also how you slip back and forth between if you're you're operating on an animal. um, Do you also have virtual awareness at the same time or do you shift between them? Um,
1: You know, it's so, it's interesting because when I was, when I was working in third world countries and I spent many years helping animals that were victims of the wildlife trafficking trade. So, there were often those situations were like almost like mash units. Um, you know, these weren't sophisticated uh, clinics. We were we were you know in the trenches. A lot of animals that I saw no one had seen before. We were coming up with with our own treatments and whatever. So there was always a bit of an emergency. It's like being an ER doc, right? And so it's very much that what do we do right now that that science brain you know let's get get this what drugs do we have what's you know what's broken patch what's what's life-threatening so it's very much in the science but there is a tremendous intuitive um Mm. connection that enters into this uh less so in an acute situation um but when it isn't acute and when you're treating an animal and when you, I mean, there's so much involved. For example, I ask this question and it's, do you always listen to the blood values that, you know, the lab report comes back with, or then do you tune into the animal and say, what do you think about this diagnosis? (laughs) You know, is this an end of life? If the lab report says, this is the end of life here, you know. What does the animal say? What does the animal say? Do you want this to be the end of your life? And, and, and it's, uh, you listen to more than the lab report. And so many stories about, you know, what is healing? Uh, what is healing? What is healed? There's a story in my book about a very deep lesson I learned from a a street dog about the definition of being healed versus being cured. And I think this is ubiquitous, but in human medicine, people can be cured, but they're not healed. And I learned the difference. Um, Healing is about love and acceptance and caring and compassion and empathy with another soul. And I experienced that time and time again uh, through nonverbal communication with both wildlife and domestic animals. Wild, tamed and untamed. <laughs> yeah, tamed and untamed. Love is that, is, is that connection.
0: And what did the... Dog teach you sorry what, what did the street dog teach you
1: the street dog was I was bound and determined to to heal this dog that was obviously diagnosed with distemper it was a street dog he came in painfully thin he had wounds all over horribly abused little critter and of course champion of the underdog that I am I took this I took this dog, there was something about that dog that just spoke to me from the depths of that little, little guy's heart to my heart and said, love me, love me, love will heal me, love will heal me. So I interpreted that, of course, through my treatment. And there were some different treatments at the time. And, you know, there are occasions when when distemper can be cured. So I worked and I worked and I worked and the dog uh, started to feel a little better. I spent hours and hours just with this dog. And the way he received love was extraordinary. And we just became the best of friends on such a deep level. And unfortunately he didn't respond positively. He did for about two weeks. And over the course of the next month, he did, he did pass away, but before he passed away, he allowed me to understand that it wasn't that he was going to live or he was going to die. What he was immensely grateful for was the love and the caring and the compassion that we shared between the two of us. And when he passed, that dog was healed. Mm -hmm. And he taught me love and I taught him love. We taught each other. And it was difficult to explain these things, but the depth of this connection was extraordinary. I've never forgotten it. And it has to do also with that, um, other stories of simply being present. Again, it's being in the present with another being that is extraordinarily healing.
0: There's another whole aspect that I feel experienced in my interaction with animals, and that is the absolute joy. This is sort of related to what you're saying, the absolute joy of being seen. Yes. It's uh, true for humans, of course, but it's, it's so true for animals. The same thing.
1: Yeah. 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 I, I, I tell people, you know, when you open your heart to an animal and you just allow that awareness to spread out from your heart to that other being, we become we become irresistible. You know, and <laughs> in nature, I remember once uh, I, I took my daughter to a trip um, to East Africa and we were in Samburu which is the northern part of the country. And we were visiting um, uh, Ian Douglas Hamilton, who I actually just uh, saw last week um, in San Francisco at the wildlife conference there. And uh, boy, talk about hope, you know, and and this is an important thing to mention uh, before we end, that, that how we have hope, who's got hope, and how we maintain it. So, but at any rate, we were talking about elephants. And I remember the time we were out uh, and they track families. So they're known and they have names, but they're totally wild. And so our Jeep pulled up and stopped. And it was a a family out all ages. um, And the matriarch looked over at our our Jeep and my daughter was just wide-eyed. It was her first experience of being out among a wild family and, the matriarch stopped and she looked over at the Jeep and uh, didn't recognize me, it didn't recognize my daughter, recognized the, 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 the driver. And she just very slowly, putting herself ahead of everyone else, came over to check us out. And the most magnificent, intelligent, beautiful creature, came over to about three feet from the edge of the Jeep. And my heart was just bursting with love and joy. And my daughter was just ecstatic. And she paused and she looked at us and then she took her trunk and tapped the bar which was a few about this inches the bar of the top of the the door and just pat it three times and acknowledging the presence of people who it's like she said, okay, you're good. You're my people. You're good. It's hard to describe the joy and the connection. It's just, it lives forever, it lives forever.
0: I think the animals are just waiting for us, they want this. It's us who aren't tuned in, and that's the uh, the tragedy of potential beauty yeah, if, if we can do it, which is why we're having this conversation to help people begin to think that way. Not that everybody on the conversation isn't already there, but it just never hurts to do it more and more and deeper and deeper and try to share it further and further out right
1: and. And what we need to do, and I I particularly resonate with birds because they, birds were were my introduction into this whole other consciousness. Um, But birds are mystical beings. I mean, think about it. You know, we see birds as an opening to infinity, to the sky, to freedom, to flight, to all the things, uh, you know, are slowly two-leggers, as I call us, wish for. But the birds offer us, uh, the birds, for example, offer us a way to just, the gods often come in through the back door, I say. They don't necessarily need a wild big fanfare. They don't need wild tigers and lions. Yes, that's brilliant. And we're instantly transformed. But we need to remember to bring our birds from the background. Most people think of birds as something there oh in the background and every now and then we hear a nice song but we need to bring them up front into the foreground and see them as the magical creatures that they are and how they can open those same doors for us right in our backyard even even um i so love pigeons because pigeons think about this isn't it like 80% of the world's population live in cities now? So they're divorced from from nature. But these little pigeons, bring that, bring that to us. It was, um, what's his name? Uh, Tesla. You know, Tesla, the scientist who invented the car He He, uh, Tesla engine. He became a bird lover from his apartment, apparently, as he got older. And it was his a uh, great love of pigeons that maintained his entire connection to nature. Mm. So we need to start thinking of these things differently.
0: A friend of mine lives in San Francisco and was waking, waking, woke up every morning at the sound of a bird singing in a little park that was right next to him. And it was so beautiful that he just got such joy out of it. Right: Then it disappeared, and he felt devastated, but it did come back. Uh-huh. We had a conversation where he was just so intensely enjoying it, yeah. and we asked the question, "Does that mean you think that the bird knows that you're enjoying it, and that it's reciprocal? Is it going back and forth? What would you say to that?
1: Oh, There is no question. <laughs> to, to me, to me, the question is not, do you think the bird knows? The question is, what's happening now that you both know, (laughs) you know, where is that going? You know, how is that transforming you? Because, you know, we, again, our knowledge is wonderful, but we are so mired in knowledge and knowledge get us very far, but knowledge alone will never transform us. It's experience. So these the blessings we have with these personal experiences, be it a um, a hummingbird, you know, a pigeon, uh, an elephant, whatever the being is. That is our unique invitation to experience, to go beyond. Well, I think I understand what it means to go to a a unity consciousness. I think I get it. It's not enough now, now we all need to experience it. That is so what will transform us,
0: yes. So you think that bird was inviting him?
1: Oh, totally totally mm-hmm. that's what i I knew that when I was six years old, or whatever it was, I knew that when I went outside and was in despair because. My mother did the best she could, but she had her own emotional problems. She was unable to show me all of the love that a young child needs. That little bird was able to understand that I was like an orphan. I I needed that connection. Of course, that bird knew that bird invited me in. And I knew it. Mm. I didn't, I didn't know it as something unusual. Uh, And it was my experience, so it became very normal to me. Yes. But it's a total knowing. And if you look at birds, if you look small birds, robins, jays, blue jays in particular, they have much to teach us about how we behave in community, in, in families. Jays and crows, they're part of the Corbin family. And they work together. They work together in community. You know they'll protect their babies. I every summer I was uh, taking care of little orphan uh, blue jays. After they got to know me, they stopped dive bombing on my head because they knew I was okay and I would help. But they would gather together. They 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 uh, they warn one another. They share food. They work in community for a higher good. Um, yeah, so much to teach us.
0: How do you do A barbecue joint,
1: I'm sorry, my phone just went crazy. I don't know why. I don't even have the volume on. I thought that was uh, some kind of warning. Sorry.
0: Uh, that's fine. Technology will just do that. Something interesting you said, you when know, we were talking another time. Yes. Obviously, lots of problems as humans in terms of how we're connecting. But you said something about... The human genius is to be problem solvers.
1: Yeah. I mean, our brains are, 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 are we're set up to be problem solvers. You know, I, I, I say, I talk in my book a lot about um, species-specific genius. You know, every species has
0: mm.
1: its own genius. It's, it's, it's a perfect blend. Nothing functions Alone. We all function together, you know, like the body does, right? Every cell helps another cell, creates an organ. The cells work together in the organs. The organs work together in the body for the higher functioning, the higher good. And we, of course, uh do the same thing. I, I mean, that's what that's what we are hardwired to do. Um, let's see. Um,
0: to me that's interesting because if we tuned into being problem solvers for the good of life well how, how would that be
1: yeah so so basically it's it's simple so we are hardwired to use our incredible frontal lobe that we have developed to understand problems okay you know so we get the idea of of we understand the concept of serving that higher good as i said earlier we just look at our own bodies but we've forgotten that you know in this great forgetting we've forgotten that in the world you know we've been trained to be the great uh, you know we're we claim dominion over everything else and we can use them but frankly we are hardwired to see problems use our creative genius to come up with solutions Mm -hmm. and then implement them in the world which makes us somewhat unique Um, so we've taken ourselves out of this role and we're now realizing we better get back into that role because we have a lot of problems to solve. And I do think that we have, again, we're so over balanced on the side, out of balance on the side of what we know we have all the knowledge we need to solve the problems in the world. We just haven't put it together and used it, but that is our genius. That is our species genius, but we have a choice. You know, we, you know lions don't sit around wondering whether they well i think i'll go hunting today well i think i'll be king of the jungle today well i think no they they're very happy doing and being who they are we have lost our way but we need to get back into realizing that we are the problem solvers we have to be we have to use that genius to solve the problems that we have created
0: I was thinking the other way too, that just that could be our role in and how who we are and how we evolve that we do the problem solving. Yes. As long as we do it from our heart. It's um right. I promise people time to ask questions. So um, if hope wants to, you wanna set that up. And if there aren't enough questions, then I would love you just to share more stories. People there's Joanna and Judith and Rose, and then people who names I don't see. Does anyone have any questions or want to hear a particular story? Well, i shy. <laughs> well, I love some of the stories you've told to me that people might like to hear. Um,
1: I think um, I'm wondering if, if people can, uh, if people understand how we need to exercise those muscles. You know, like when we go to the gym and we work out, we can't just join the gym and say we're gonna be in good shape. We actually have to do the exercises. And I think it's true also um, when we want to open our minds and open ourselves uh, from let go of the addiction of thinking you know thinking is an addiction and to reduce that and exercise more that those psychic spiritual muscles which will allow us more easily to connect when we are in nature or to notice that the birds are in the foreground not the background or to connect with our dogs and cats or um you know that 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 personal practice i think is very important and i think what that personal practice does. I know your people are very um, interested in making a difference in helping animals. And I think that we need to, by having a personal practice, it can empower us. The other thing I wanted to say is that, um, again, in our culture, we've been taught that power is this thing that's external to us. It's, It's some kind of a force outside. Um, that we have to to utilize, and if we don't have that, we're we're weak. And I I bring this up because I hear this from people all the time, that they're afraid uh, uh, afraid of being courageous, of being uh, hurt, of being uh, of the nasty things that are going on in the world. They're they're fearful, and. What I think people need to remember is that our courage and our power comes from going within and that power is something that comes from having the courage to say, I can feel this, I can own this, I can see what's going on in the world and I don't like it and it's horrible and it hurts, but if I don't fight it and I allow it and I digest it, I can awaken and be a stronger person. I'd like to share a story Susan about a blue jay as we discussed that birds are so mystical are so ethereal and bring us up to our hopes and dreams as we lead up to the sky. It's throughout history and so I'd like to share a story about a blue jay that occurred just before I was leaving for my book tour. And I was getting ready to leave. It was the day of, and I was catching a flight. I was going to be gone for two months. It was a long journey. And so I was packed and ready to go, and I took a few minutes' pause. And in doing so, I looked out on my front terrace, my front porch, which overlooks a little man-made lake. And I was just letting myself relax in those few moments. Moments before my trip, and suddenly I noticed there in the lake something was struggling right there about 10 feet out. Something was flapping and flapping, I couldn't tell quite what it was, but something was in there struggling. So I ran down the porch, went out to the edge of the lake, I still couldn't catch it. It looked like possibly some kind of bird. So I immediately flipped into gear, ran into my garage. Uh, grabbed a long pole with a net on the end that I often used for different rescues dashed back to the edge of the lake. And this uh, animal was still struggling. Couldn't tell what it was. So I put in the pole, did the best I could. And yes, I finally caught what it was. And as I lifted this up, I saw as I brought it toward me, it was a beautiful, Large full grown blue jay. He was gorgeous, but he was a mess. He was in shock. So I put him down on the lawn to see what was going on with him. He didn't move. I thought, let's see, let's see. Will he let me come over? Wasn't moving at all. So I leaned down. I struggled to get him out of the net, picked him up, held him. He still wasn't moving, which was a good way for me to give him a very quick exam. I checked his wings, I checked his legs, I checked his body. There was no sign of trauma, nothing was apparently broken, but he was still in a state of deep shock. So I took him inside and then I put him in uh, a, a container that I use to keep birds when they're in trouble, put him in there and then set him out in the quiet in the back. There was not much else I could do at that moment but I was becoming panicky. One side of my mind was saying, oh my God, you can't be sick. You can't need me here. I have to leave. I have to leave in a few hours. And then the other side of me was saying, you can't do anything but take care of this bird. This bird is, is, is number one choice here. So I went back in the house, gave it time, as often happens with birds. They revive on their own when nothing traumatic is affecting their physical body. So I went back out and checked him again, and he was slightly moving. He was still in shock, but he was able to move. And I thought, okay, more time and he'll recover. More time went by. I finally went out, checked him again, and sure enough, he was standing. He was ready. He looked at me and he was ready. So I said, okay, stage one. So I let him go out of the initial small cage to see what he would do. And rather than letting him fly away, he was in the next area, which was a screened in port. So he jumped on the back of the chair and I said, you're ready, he said, I'm ready. I opened the door to let him go. I was so joyous that this was going to work out. And instead of taking off, From the open door he landed about three feet beyond on the post leading up to uh, my second story outside and he turned around in his body and rather than flying away he stood and he looked clearly at me and he looked as they do with one eye this way And he turned again and looked one eye this way and when he knew he had my full attention that is when we shared a precious moment of presence together and what that bird shared with me was that deep awareness of the essence beyond the physical that palpable, immense gratitude, number one, from him for rescuing him from drowning in the lake, but also a connection that reminded us of that joy of aliveness that I speak of. And in that moment, we shared that presence. And then, very clearly, I heard the bird Share with me these, and these are my words, but what he shared was, go now. Your journey is taking you on a new turn. We have taught you well. Teach what you know. This is your way forward now. Journey well. Do not tarry because the animals need you now more than ever. Rise above the worldly fears. Fly high. We will be with you. And with that, he took off into the high sky, free and healed. And I was so humbled, so grateful from the bottom of my heart for that beautiful message as I started out on the new phase of my tour. And I believe the purpose of that message is not just to remind me, but to remind all of us that we must keep a clear eye toward our goals in this life and not be distracted by our conceptual thoughts, things that we think bring us happiness and joy. Because I'd like to share a few words from St. Francis, who sums it up really well. Remember, when you leave the earth, you can take nothing with you that you have received, only what you have given, a heart enriched by honest service, love, love, sacrifice and courage the words of saint francis and i would also like to say that you susan are a beautiful example of how we live that service and anyone who's listening or watching can use your clear example as someone who is not only in service, but as I realized, as soon as I met you, that there is a glow, a deeper happiness that is reflected in the work that you do. So I wish to say thank you for that.
0: I thank you for that and um, return it wholeheartedly. You've given a life of such profound service under such difficult circumstances, both your own emotions and sensitivities, and the and the pain that you've seen all over the world, and you've come to grips with it, and you're managing, and you're continuing, and you're overcoming your own fears, and you're going went on this book tour. Um, so I see you as a living example of what you said.
1: Thank you, thank you, and it's um, it is about rising above those worldly fears because. The worldly fears are the illusion. When we connect with animals, they remind us so deeply of that, that really we think of things in parts. We make parts of everything. But in the great universe that I have experienced with animals, there is no separateness. There is no parts, no right, no wrong, no better than, less than. We're all actually one.
0: That glow that you say you see in me, um, I don't know it. I know people have said it, but whatever it is, there is a deep something in me, and it comes directly from being connected to life. Yes. And that's something that I would agree with you. It's available to everybody. It's a continual source of strength and happiness. And by life, I mean anything living any individual or the whole thing it gives us such richness and support and it's everything we really need in these difficult times that deep connection to nature right anything we can do to connect with anything be it a blade of grass or i've talked once about what a miracle a leaf is it's an entire community in itself the magical things that are coming out now about what a forest is about what a leaf is about what an octopus is we're starting to arise into an awareness of the miracle around us, and hopefully we will awaken fairly quickly. And the reason for doing these kinds of conversations is to help all of us, and we're in this together. It's not that you're special or I'm special at all. I've right. had the good fortune of being able to somehow be connected to, to nature. Yeah. That's right. Um, and that's something for me to share. But we're all in this together, and we could do it together. Yeah. It, it, all it takes... I can say all it takes is it's simple and it's not simple. It's a fundamental shift in how we see things and everything will change, everything.
1: That's right. And the more we learn about animals, the more we realize their brilliance. And, and the more we learn about them, we see our true place in the world. You know, um, I think it was Lauren Isley who said, uh, until we catch the reflection in the eye of a being other than human, we really don't know who we are. And in connection with animals and nature, that is where we learn that deep essence and that connection that no one can take from us. So it is a deep joy.
0: It is a mm-hmm. deep joy. And no one can take it from us once we have it. So there's this yeah. profound safety in it. We can dare things because we have that grounding.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. That's something I would like to share with all of us. Yes. Yeah. Um, one, just a quick side point. Um, this, you said the Blue Jay said, We've taught you well. I would just like to give context to people because I don't know if they know the background that you started with Blue Jays teaching you everything when you were little. So it was a lifetime of teaching up to that moment. And right. then you're taking off on your book tour, which was not an easy thing for you to do. No. <laughs> so I, would, I just put that in context. You
1: know, when I started out, I thought my entire purpose was to help and heal animals. You know, I, I'm I'm trained as a veterinarian and someone who directly has always worked with animals. From the time I was a little girl, I, it was between me and the animals. But, you know, it evolved into um, uh, teaching humans what I know and mm. um, stories about that in my book, Animal Wisdom, but it's been a lifelong journey. And as all journeys, it takes, a, it's, it's not a straight line. It's a circuitous route.
0: <laughs> By all kinds of forces. Yes. I, I would love to do this again, Linda. One of the things I like so much about you is that when you talk about some of the stories, we, we didn't share that many this time, but when you talk about the stories, you actually go there. You can feel it and you take us with you and it helps open us a little more to what the world is like. So I would love to do another one of these where there are more stories, which would be fun for everybody. Yes. And yes. until then, if people want to reach you, um, you want to give them your website and your book and your email. and your... Yes.
1: Um, Go to my website, which is lindabender.org. And the best way to keep in touch with me now is to, on my website, you can click to um, sign on my email list. And I don't send out a lot, but what I do is send out uh, important notifications, things that are going on in my world, uh, notes from the field, uh, Luna's love bites, and things I really need people to know about which is um, of great help. I believe I'm now uh, promoting a documentary on dogs and cats and the truth about pet cancer. So there are many things uh, that people can gain from that. So my book is Animal Wisdom. That's on my site. And I would like to mention just one thing. Um, All these things we've been talking about, I put together and I don't do it often, but uh, at the end of June, June twenty ninth through July first, I'm doing a a weekend um, intensive workshop uh, at fourteen forty Multiversity, and that's out in California in kind of, um, the Redwood area. But anyway, fourteen forty Multiversity, you can go on check them out, or I will be uh, telling people about it in my emails. Uh, But it's going to bring people to these deeper places that I talk about, and it's going to help people become more powerful advocates, tune in more, not only to animals, but to other people. So I look forward, I love teaching that, uh, because it's my personal techniques, and it's a real dive into um, the world of animals and how we can show up as uh, the best human beings we can be. So I look forward to that.
0: Okay, for myself, I can always be reached at earthfireinstitute.org on our website. And these podcasts, these live podcasts are part of something we call a year-long Council of All Beings, which is a program any of you can sign up for. You can do that on the website or um, email me directly, susan at earthfireinstitute.org to sign up. So we're gonna have Linda on again and other spectacular people that we both know, helping us um, move forward on our evolutionary journey.
1: That's right. (laughs) Keep going and uh, be a voice for the voiceless and don't be afraid to make a lot of noise.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love speaking with you.
1: Thank you, Susan. Bye. Bye.